Welcome to the Amazon Legends Podcast, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became powerful sellers, also experts specializing in helping sellers, and both former and current Amazon employees who will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here's your host, Nick Urison. Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. My guest today is, uh, well, when you hear all her accomplishments, uh, what was she doing here? <laughs> so she started in tech, became a multimillionaire at the age of 33 when she sold her company, then transitioned into fashion when she put Denver on fashion map. And then uh, today she's the owner of A-Line Boutique that has four locations. And also, she's the author of Learning to Fly, which is a captivating book. It's, uh, it's amazing, her journey. So, uh, on, on top of all that, she's an extreme sports fanatic and adventurer, so never a boring day kind of person. So, if you hang out with her, guarantee you won't be bored. So, everybody meet my guest, Carmen. Carmen Branson, welcome to the show, Carmen. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. And that is a very warm welcome. Wow. I appreciate that. Well, I mean, uh, you know, I didn't do, I, I'm just messenger here. Right? You've done all those things. I'm sure there's plenty more we left out. But So uh, your current, current company, A-Line Boutique, uh-huh. created A-Line Boutique yeah, with a formula that is different than most people have. So tell us what that is. Nick, it really boils down to social impact and therapy. That's what we do. So, so tell me, so A-Line Boutique is obviously clothing. A-Line Boutique is obviously what? In, in clothing, right? In clothing. Yeah, yeah. it is. So how, um, do you, yeah. how, do you, how do you combine the social impact and the therapy? They, they usually odd thing for a clothing company. Uh, it is. It is. You are absolutely correct. And, um, and yet, Clothes to me have always been a way of power, right? So um, we've all known when we were little, little children dressing up, right? We put on the cowboy hat and we were bang, bang. And we, you know, put on the princess dress. I did, you know, and all of a sudden we were the beautiful princess and we, we tried on things and we embodied things and we felt things when we tried things on. Well, it doesn't change when you grow up right? Um, When I was 26 building my first company, I needed to feel 38. When I was 28 years old, I was presenting to Tyco Health Code, Covidian, W.O. Gord, Fortune 50 companies, right? $80 billion company, $80 billion companies. And I needed to feel not 26 or 28, but 38, right? And I did that through power of clothes. And now at 48, right? I love feeling hip and cool and edgy, yet still polished and sophisticated and age appropriate. And so, um, but yet I hate shopping and people are always amazed. To- wait a minute, wait a minute. I know, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I better like clean up my ears. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a, a lady who hates shopping, but how yes. is that possible? No, most women do. So women love the therapy of shopping, right? The fun when you're on vacation and you get to stroll into a store and pick up something, right? All of us love the thrill of buying, right? That's fun. But true shopping, like when you're like, hey, 
I need a new wardrobe. Hey, I've gained five pounds. Hey, I'm, you know, I'm interviewing for a newer, hey, I'm I'm entering a new phase of life, right? Wanted or not wanted, right? Um, the reality is, is that to go shopping and to have to find something for 80% of women and maybe 90%, it's work, right? It's not, it's not the fun shopping when I say you get lost in Target, right? And you get to go in the home section and be like, ooh, this is fun, right? It's work because that same dress, or you know, in one dress you might be a size two and, and another designer, you're a size six right? And you think, oh, this is so cute on the rack. And then you get it in the dress room and you feel frumpy and fat and, and ridiculous, right? And, and so shopping itself, like clothes shopping is work. But yet if you have a stylist and, um, and a stylist, you know, that's not a new, a new, uh, you know, career that I created, right? I'm new profession. That's the word I'm looking for is that, is that there's, there's been professional stylists forever. Right. Um, but when I lived over in Europe, we'll get there, but I, um, you know, I really got to firsthand experience professional stylists who it wasn't a retail job for them. It's couldn't be further from that. They are, they are knowledgeable. They are professional. They can size you up in two seconds, right? They, they can pull things They know how to pin things and you walk out of the dressing room and it's not, Oh, cute top. It's like, Oh my gosh, cute woman. Like, yes. I mean, hear me roar. Like, and, and that is, and it's the same thing men have done for years, right? You guys go into shop for suits and you walk in and the guy goes, you're a 44 long and pulls three jackets, pins, da, 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 da. And you walk out 20 minutes later and it's effortless, but women didn't have that. Or a lot of women don't have that to this day, unless they shop with a line. And so we're very different in that. I don't have any retail help, meaning I have no hourly employees. I have no, and I have no store managers. I have four beautiful, like the one behind me, beautiful locations, right? 4,000 square feet. And I have zero store managers because I don't hire anyone who has to be managed. I hire professionals, right? Who might now, we, we have training, we have coaching, we have onboarding, all the above, but management, I don't hire hourly people who have to be managed, right? And so what you experience as this customer is this, professional, right? This serious professional who knows the product, who knows how it hangs, who knows how it's fitting and can quickly um, solve really that problem. Because when you're coming in, it's like, hey, I have a new, I have a date night or I have this, or I'm going on this trip and they can quickly solve it. And we do that not in suiting or in business, um, just in that, but I call it more casual chic. And that is everything from Hey, I have an outfit to do errands in and pop in and have lunch with. Do I have a date night? Do I have a cocktail dress? Right. So daily life, we style for daily life and we're women's easy button. And so the social impact is really that we make women feel seen, beautiful, confident. The number of women that have moved from invisible to invincible in the last 10 years of own A-line is why I wake up every morning, Right. It is, I do not wake up because I get so excited about a new dress or a sweater, right? It is, I wake up every morning because the impact we have had on women on literally who have probably lost themselves, right? Who have literally kind of disappeared in the background and their life has become about their four kids and their husband and their house and, and everything that they provide and no one's taking care of them, right? And so they walk into A-line and we see them. 
and we go, who are you? And then we don't make them someone else. We make them version 2.0 of themselves, right? And then they literally pull back that curtain, right, from the dress room. And it's amazing. They go in, they're like, okay, I'll try and stuff. And they open that curtain and it's like, hello, beautiful, you know, and they feel empowered and they feel seen and they feel relevant and confident, right? And, um, and so that's the social impact. We are helping women daily feel alive and seen. Well, I mean, this describing uh, something that goes really, it's, it's beyond shopping because yes. you know what they say about going to interviews. So you have to look the part. So you can't just show up for an interview unless you look the part. Oh. So that's, that's a big part of it. And, um, but when you look the part, that doesn't exist in isolation, right? You also yes. feel the part. Yes. And yes. that carries through after the interview. So this is not like a one-time event. And uh, I mean, in fact, there are studies, I cannot cite exactly which ones, but I, I remember reading schools that mandate uniforms on kids. Mm-hmm. Their performance is much, much better. Why? Because there's certain discipline. First of all, if you really dissect this idea of looking the part or looking sharp, or looking looking good, really there is a discipline element in that. Mm. So you have to, I mean, you, you can't just you can't jo- just go put on nice clothes without taking a shower, without doing something with your hair, without right. So, I mean, that's discipline. Now, if you're going to do that, you need to take your time to do it. It doesn't happen in five minutes. So that means you've got other things to do. So you have to plan. So there's like a whole different things, set of things that go into looking the part. So that's what you are describing. And to me, really, is the, the social impact comes from all those practices. What do you, what do you think? I love that. I actually literally wrote down um, the uniforms and you're right because, you know, sometimes I'm at a party and I, and when um, someone says, oh, what do you do? You know? And I say, oh, I own a women's empowerment company. And they're like, oh, wow. What is it? And I said, A-Line Boutique. And they go, wait, you have a retail store. And I was like, no, no, I don't No, you know, but, and I, I talk about this, but I've never used that uniforms. And that's, that's a great very concrete evidence, you know, evidence, science, scientific study that you're right. I mean, they don't just have uniforms to have uniforms, right? Um, there is something about having to show up and having that college shirt and, and playing the part. Um, so I love that. Yeah. I'm going to use that. Yeah. I mean, uh, look, I remember, so we were talking before we started, uh, the, the episode, we were right. talking about, you know, experiences that we remembered as a kid. So I can tell you, I remember my experience because I didn't grow up in this country. So, uh, and where I went to school, they mandated uniforms. So it was basically a black, like a shirt. And then you could wear, you know, uh, shorts under it or pants. But you always had like a white collar. So you had to put the white collar. So uh, one year, my mother actually had a silky kind of black shirt. Okay. And I remember that year, I mean, now that we're talking about it, I never thought about this for years. That year, I was like shining. I mean, I was always a good student, but I was shining that year. 
I was making my mark. Oh, it's true. It is absolutely true. I mean, I do the same thing in in yoga or workout class. It's amazing when I have on, you know, my favorite leggings and and um, you know, sports tank. I I literally I show up better. It's I turn it on. It's it's very very true. So the power of clothes and us us turning it on and participating in life is um is is fun and it's a it's a real thing it really is and um you know we have not grown from one from one store of 2600 square feet to four stores and 15000 square feet now um without impacting lives right you just you don't um and and women don't choose to shock with us and to invest their time and their dollars if it didn't result in tangible feelings, right? Um, yeah. And so, um, so I love it. So this podcast is called Amazon Legends. We usually yeah. talk about Amazon. So so people listening probably thinking, where is Amazon? There is an Amazon Echo, guys. Just, just, uh, <laughs> just, just hold on because Amazon is really this is another thing. Amazon is a distribution channel. It's yeah. not a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle for the people who work at Amazon. Uh, you can make certain philosophies your lifestyle, but at the end of the day, it's a distribution channel. And you are utilizing Amazon to distribute your products. Who is distributing the products? You. Why do you do it? How do you do it? It's all. It all comes down to you deciding to do things and then having the inner strength and the discipline and 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 everything else. And and we're first talking about all, all those things. You know, how how does one inherit those uh, drives to to do, to be successful on Amazon? So um, let's talk about your story about the book because yes. that's what put you on Amazon. Yes. So yeah. uh, A-Line Boutique is basically your current business, but you're not selling your, first of all, is this your own brand or are you carrying different brands? We're carrying different brands. So we are a distributor, same thing, um, just like any big box of Nord- Nordstrom or Neiman's, et cetera, that we are not the manufacturer, we are the distributor. So yes, in A-Line, the biggest thing that we provide is the service. Now, at the end of the day, we don't charge you for a service fee, right? We ring up the dress, the shirt, the shoes, the jewelry, et cetera, right? Um, but where, why people, right, what, what differentiates us, right, is that service. So um, we are not... We're not selling like this Alice and Olivia dress I have on on Amazon through A Line, right? We you we do have our own e-commerce site, but really, what we get most excited about, even virtually, like we have a lot of virtual styling appointments that we do via FaceTime or Zoom, and it's amazing how we nail them. And so we can even we call them shop boxes, right? So we can if you have listeners in Seattle, we don't have a physical location there, but I guarantee you, we can um, sell that woman, send a box and, um, and, and nail it really, truly. Um, but all that does lead into that, um, that I published my memoir, Learning to Fly and Learning to Fly. Also people, um, let's just connect this is that people say, wait, you own retail stores and now you're an author. And I'm like, oh, it's all the same point. I empower women through dressing them right? And I also empower women through norming, through validating, through sharing my story, which 
makes them feel seen and heard because we're all on this life journey together, right? And so, but I did, I published it on Amazon and we hit number one new release, which I'm so proud of. So the first day um, it was live, we hit number one new release. And so we did that through Amazon. So I'm very thankful for the platform of Amazon because it gave me that platform for my book. And um, and it was ridiculously easy, easy. Well, I have a great assistant, but, um, but with a great team, but even herself who had never done it before. What I say is, is I didn't hire someone who's in the publishing background. She's my assistant, does a million things, keeps me straight, manages up all that good stuff, but had never published a book on Amazon. Right. But literally was able to figure it out, do it, do it well. And we hit number one new release because you know, the category she did, the tracking that she did, the research that she did, and the platform really of Amazon is really, truly a very friendly platform for publishing your book, I would say. Um, so, um, so, let's, so our discussion is about publishing, self-publishing your books and then selling it through Amazon. Yes. So, uh, so this is, you know, you mentioned it very humbly in a few words, but here there's a lot there. First of all, you're, you made a decision that you're not going to go look for a publisher to right. produce your manuscript and then for them to say, okay, we'll publish it and then we'll put your book tours. You did not go that way. I you did went not. The other way. You said, yep. I'm going to self publish it. Talk to us about that. Why did you choose the self publish route? Um, it's a great question. I chose it very specifically because one, I didn't, the biggest reason is I didn't feel like I needed, needed is the crew. Could I have benefited from a publishing house? Sure. Absolutely. Right. But there is a difference that I do have a platform through A-Line, right? We have, because we've been in business 10 years, because we have 18,000 women who give us their name, their business card, their, you know, their contact information. And we haven't bought any of those. I have a platform and a following through the A-line. And then also our women are really cool. And there's some really connected women, right? <laughs> so I had this avenue for me to feel like I could self-publish and get some traction, right? And then from there, I use the platform of Amazon to really get to the masses, right? Um, whereas if I didn't have, if I was, for example... Um, maybe a new novelist, right? Um, who loved writing and decided I wanted to take a whack at doing a novel. But the people I know are my neighbors down the street, my yoga people, my church, whatever. You know, we all have our communities, right? And that's the only people I knew. I would, I would have gone to a publishing house and pitched my idea and see if I could get picked up. Does that make sense? Um, whereas because I had that platform, the other thing was, is that I started writing 12 years ago, actually almost 13, well, 13 years ago, but it took me 12 years to write it. So when I first wrote the first draft of learning to fly, um, I, it, it gushed out of me, almost like a musician says, they just write and write and the song just comes out of them. I mean, I could not stop writing. I wrote 17 hours a day. I, I was uh, just absolutely absorbed with it. And it just, my fingers couldn't type fast enough. Right. Um, by the way, also if someone, anyone's interested in, I think so many people go, I want to write a memoir one day. Right. And there's a lot of reasons, beautiful reasons for that. Um, one of the best books to read is actually by Anne Lamont. It's called bird by bird. She's a New York times bestseller and she's a teacher of writing. Um, and a professor and, um, and, and she has a great chapter 
called Shitty First Drafts. And I'm just quoting exactly what the chapter says, okay? It's it's literally in print. Um, because too many people edit, right? They think, oh, this is going to be read and published and it has to come out perfectly. Nothing comes out perfectly, right? It has to come out just blah and raw. And so literally that was a, a phenomenal coaching for me just to get the words out. So my first draft was just very raw, right? Horribly written. Um, great stories, right? Great concepts, but, but really bad book, right? And then I found an editor um, who lives up in Boulder and was so pleased she took it on. Um, but um, she told me, she said, this is a phenomenal story. It's a horribly written book, right? And I was like, okay, well, great. You edit. And she's like, no, that would be called ghostwriting, right? This is not editing. We're not the editing part. We're the ghostwriting. I was like, great, ghostwrite it. And she's like, no, you told me you want to learn to write. Now, very naively, I thought, yeah, I do, because I thought it was, you know, like me learning to ice climb. Pretty simple, actually. It really is. It's very fun and exciting, but it's really a short learning curve, okay? I had no idea that actually learning the craft of writing would be on par with like being a concert pianist, right? I mean, the hours it would take me of learning it. And, um, and that's what I did though. I, I committed myself to the trade and to the craft. And that's why I really get excited and proud of the book because I'm like, no, I wrote it. Like I have customers and friends who start reading and they're like, okay, this is so good. Who wrote this? And I was like, I did. And they're like, no, no, no. Like, who's your ghostwriter? And I was like, no, I wrote it. And they're like, you can write girl. And I'm like, I know because I learned it. You know, I worked really hard at it. But um, so the, also the other reason to self-publish was because I didn't need, I had a writing coach. I had that support. I had that editor. Um, I, and then also with an A-line, I had this team from marketing and from just operations and this leadership and the support that, that I would not have had as an independent writer, if that makes sense. But because of my other, because of A-line and the sub team there, I got all this support as a writer that I I was getting, would have gotten from a publishing house in some ways, if that makes sense, in that coaching. And so with those two combines, and then my last thing is, is I really did not want um, someone else having an agenda, right? I wrote this with an agenda of helping women come alive, right? And encouraging women, they're enough and they're worthy and they, they're just, they're, you're enough. You're, you're divine and you're beautiful and you're perfect. And it's not a self-help book. It reads like a novel, but it, I, I had an agenda in it, right? And I didn't want a publishing house looking at my good content and going, Ooh, that can fit into our kind of goal this year of doing this. And we can use your stories, our means, right to that. And I was like, no, 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 no. No one's going to use it. I'm going to publish it as is, you know, as I intended it. And, um, and then also I had a different objective. You know, my objective wasn't, um, to move into a career of just writing, right? It really was. I thought if I publish this and the only people who read it are maybe the 18,000 women who shop at A-Line and my neighbors and the people around me. And if it's not good enough to go further than that, then it's not meant to. Right. Um, whereas I feel like a publishing house could have guaranteed and taken it across the world. But if it's not good enough, you know, I, I learned something years ago. I was listening to Oprah and she said, you know, all these people are like, how do I get if I could only get to Oprah's book club, only get to Oprah's book club. And she said, instead of focusing on my book club, focus on writing something worthy of my book club. And guess what? If it's worthy, it'll get there. Right. 
And so I focused all my energy and effort on writing something of worth and of value and that changes people and that makes our lives better, right? And makes them better, um, richer, not better as in they're broken, but better as in as in more alive and more confident. Um, and so, and I, I just put my effort on that and then I'm trusting the universe. And if it's really worthy, it will be on Oprah's book club one day, right? Well, not because of a publisher, but because it's actually that good. Well, I mean, yeah, there are some practical reasons why you did what you did, like having your own platform and having a good team around you and having the platform being 80,000 people that already are ready to read it, uh, as well as a team around you that provides infrastructure for you to do this. But really, you are the driver in all this. I mean, despite all this, you could have still said, well, I'm going to go that way. Right. And the publishing route. Uh, right. What, what I'm hearing is, and again, you know, having read a little piece of your book is... And, and, you know, you being an adventurer and everything else, I mean, you you know what you want and you know how <laughs> you're going to get it and you just go after it. That's, that's really all there is. That is very so, true. And you you are making a, an educate, educated approach. Right. And you're saying, okay, you know what makes sense? Well, then it doesn't matter. Hard, easy, that, that doesn't really factor into your thoughts. You just go after it, right? <laughs> I do. I do. That's true. Uh, I think, uh, you know, it, it's nice to have 18,000 people uh, ready to jump on board with you. But, uh, you know, I think, yeah, I think you should give yourself credit. You, oh. You've just done it because that's the way you thought you were going to do it. And you did it anyway. So let's, let's uh, discuss the moving parts of the, the book. So you've decided you're going to self-publish. So. Yeah. Now, there aren't too many options, even though you know it's a huge country, it's big business, but there aren't too many options if you want to go the self-publishing route, right? Right. So you chose Amazon. Where, what was the main reason for Amazon? Oh, because I love Amazon. I mean... <laughs> You know, I mean, honestly, it's it's so funny because I I I'm always as an entrepreneur, I am always putting myself back in like what would I want, right? What do I want this experience to feel like? Where do I go? Right. And and the reality is is Amazon Prime, like, I mean, I'm sorry, but it's it's so good. It's so easy, right? I'm I I can't, I love it. Um um, and so, you know, it was just, it's, it made sense to me. Um, I really didn't even consider like, so let's be clear. I printed, I don't know, a couple thousand copies with a local printer. So like this physical copy here is, um, is truly, it was printed in a printing house here in Denver, right? It didn't come from Amazon. Um, and so I printed those and we launched first, you know, and had a couple of events in the store and virtually and, and in the stores. Um, but then it was like, okay, now we're ready to go to Amazon. And I did that also strategically because, you know, one of the reasons I was able to hit that number one new release is because I had enough people who had already read it. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're, 
already I had sold enough copies directly um, that the reality is, is we did a big push and said, Hey, we're launching on this date, right? If you loved it, buy one for someone else or, you know, and I had enough people who are like, Oh my gosh, I love this. I mean, I had people who bought, you know, um, you know, 10 copies for everyone in their book club. Right. Or who pre said, Hey, all my book club members go to Amazon now. This is our next read. Right. And I could not have done that if I would, if they would not have already read it. Right. Um, I mean, in theory, but they're not going to have their book club read it. Right. But they've already read it. Like there was enough women who've already read it. I was like, I love this book. And now I want everyone else to read it. I want our book club to read it. And so that was something strategic. So it was about a year difference where we literally had it in print. It was published in print, you know, um, in the stores. And the only way you could buy it though, was in the stores. Now, could you buy it on Shopify from our store? And then we mail you a copy. Sure. But we've still printed it. And then we published it another launch on Amazon, um, on that now. And so those copies, Amazon prints. So literally the process, you upload the manuscript, they, they help you, you know, you change the, um, the book cover for an e-print, um, and, um, and then you pick your categories and that's where my assistant really, I can't tell you enough great things about her, of her, you know, really researching what, what those categories are. For example, we did not try and we didn't even put ourselves in the category of memoir because Katie Couric's memoir came out two days before mine. (laughs) So, I'm not going to compete with Katie Couric, right? I mean, you know, um, I mean, it's just being smart enough, right? Um, And so like, but from business and entrepreneur and self-help, there's a lot of other categories that it's relevant for, right? Because like all of us, I mean, a story has lots of facets of it, right? So I could fit in lots of different categories, but we purposely did not put it in the category of memoir, right? Because I knew that all those sales would count for nothing in getting me to number one. Sure. Does that make so, sense? Hold on. Let me back up here. Okay. Because so, there's something significant in how you describe this. Because you've done these things and they're natural to you. But yes. I heard you say that you printed, You once you finished, it was ready to publish. You actually printed that yourself. Yes. And then sold it in yes. stores. Yes. Or in your stores or in in my store. Now I did do a couple partnerships with a couple other um, local businesses and, you know, and gave them and they bought copies and sold them in their POS. First first group of readers, they were basically your customers coming into the store when they heard about, I mean, at this point, I wouldn't call your your customers customers. They are your fans, really, your followers. Yes. So uh, you inspire them. You know, you you empower them, so they obviously look up to you. So when they heard you have a book, and there it is, physically printed, which you printed yourself on yes. the printer, and uh, these are all entrepreneurial moves. So uh, they bought it. So it's about a year before you went to Amazon. With this. So by the time you went to Amazon, you had a fairly large number of people who read the book, right? Yes. Yes. So what you are describing, I mean, we. this is the first time ever I'm talking about books on Amazon. Yeah. But there is a common denominator here between books and launching other, any tangible products, private label products, and that's called reviews. 
So orders come from reviews and reviews come from orders. So people have that at, at startup level, well, how do we get reviews? We have no orders yet. Well, well we're not going to get orders unless we have reviews. So there is that initial pump that everybody has to get over. You have short-circuited that. Not not coincidentally, yeah. but no, no, right. you said, I'm going to build right. that following and get the review. And then and then you went to Amazon. And on Amazon, so at that point, so this is a physical book. It's not an e-book. It's right. a physical book. And you went to Amazon and said, I want to sell this. So you listed on Amazon. Right. So but it, tell us about what happens after you listed on Amazon. Um, well, it's through, it's not through the seller platform. It's through KDP. So they have a, they have their own specifically focused on books. Right. And it is also on, um, on ebook. So on Kindle, et cetera. So it is, but they also, you can, you, you get to choose when you, when you go to Amazon and you type in learning to fly, right. You will go, do I want the Kindle copy or do I want the soft, you know, the soft copy, um, and, um, and so the printed copy, and so you choose it and you, um, and then you purchase it. And if you purchase the printed, then they actually Amazon publishing printing house will print it and mail it. So it's not like, you know, and that's what I didn't know at first. I didn't know if like I list on Amazon that I have to go back and I have to pack it and ship it and get it out. I'm like, Oh no. Um, so nope, they, they do all of that. Um, so is that right from the get go when you have a book you want to sell on Amazon right from right the get go? You no longer have anything to do with printing it. They will assume responsibility for all of it. All of it. All of it. And it doesn't matter if two are ordered or if a hundred are ordered. So, and that's the power of, you know, of going with this platform and this system and this engine, right? Because they have it down of you upload it and then they can, they can do a one-off print even now, you know, um, maybe one day 10 are ordered and another day one book is ordered, right? Amazon just prints that one. They don't wait and say, well, we have to have 50 orders to run a run a print, oh, right? Um, waiting on Amazon. <laughs> right. There's no waiting on Amazon. And so it's wonderful because they have it down now. And the interesting thing too, is that they really don't, you know, it's, it's very fair in my mind, you know, what they take after printing my own copies, right? And that initial investment. So also you don't have that, out cash, right? When I printed a couple thousand of them, I paid for the printing, right? I paid for the proof. I paid for the shipping to me. I mean, I warehouse them. I stock them, right? You have all that initial cost, all of it up front. Whereas publishing on Amazon, you know, you don't have that. So it's, you know, I can, I only have really good things to say about it. And now we're about to um, launch the audible version on Amazon. So in October, the audible version of learning to fly, um, is coming out. And again, that's me listening to my friends and customers in our A-line community. There's, there's quite a few people who've said, Carmen, I heard so many good things about your book. I don't read books. I listen to books. That's just my MO now. And what, let me know when it comes on audible. So I also am hopeful that we're going to hit number one again, cause it's a new, it's like a new launch. Amazon treats it as a new launch. So we're going to launch again in October on the audible on Amazon exclusively. And then, um, and you can, it'll, it'll be launched on Amazon. And so, um, so let, let's go back. So when you went to Amazon to sell it on Amazon, yeah, you've got the whole thing set up. How does one get to be 
the number one. What, what do you do and what does Amazon do? What are the expectations and costs? And, and I, I heard about your strategy not to be in, in memoirs because you had somebody, you know, Katie Corey. Frankly, your story is more interesting to me than Katie Corey's story. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, yours is a, look, I'm always attracted to struggle stories because yeah. struggle stories, I mean, oh, of course she had struggles. I mean, come on, let's face it, you know, anchor on uh, NBC morning show for God knows how many years. I mean, it, there is no struggle there. It's a different kind of story. Right. It's a different kind of struggle. Yeah, right. No. Well, thank you. Um, so the there's there's really zero cost, right? Uh, you have time costs, but you don't have any other hard costs. Um, and to get to get to number one, so you're not buying it with Amazon. You're, it's not like paid ads. It's not like Google AdWords or paid sponsorship on Instagram or anything like that. So you're not you're not paying for any feature for it to pop up or anything like that. What you're doing is um, is you are truly it, it is about, it, it's so much about your categories, right? Picking, you get to, you get to pick, they say three, but actually if you, um, a little, little tip that we learned from them as we were talking to them and they're really helpful. Like we really use the help desk quite a bit. And, um, and they're like, actually you can request, you know, up to seven or eight and, um, but you have to request them. So when you're filling out the form, they give you three, but if you call them and you say, Hey, would you also put us in these additional categories? Um, they'll like, sure. And they'll put you in them. It's just not on their website. So that's a little tip for your listeners. Um, but, um, but you, you know, you, you, it's, it's, it's truly, um, it is organic and is authentic. And then to hit number one, you have to sell the most books in that category in 24 hours. And then it's, it's dynamic. It keeps going. Right. And so, um, and so, you know, one day we, you know, we're number one, another day we're not even close to number one. We're nowhere on the list. Right. Um, and so it's going to spike and we can change it. We can constantly change our categories. Um, and so, you know, for me, um, it was, it's, it's a, it's definitely a badge, right. That I'm very proud of. Um, Right. Again, am I, it's very different. Am I, um, is it, is it important for me to stay there every single day? No, that's not where my focus is, right. Of all the, I'm a huge proponent of Tim Collins, good to great, right. You have to say no to good things to do great things. And yeah, it would be good to be an Amazon number one bestseller every day. Is it great in my personal, you know, moonshot and where I'm going and all that kind of stuff. No, it's not. So that's not where our focus is, right? Will it be again though, when we launch Audible? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Um, and so it really is, it's, it's just about how many purchases were made. Can you, can you be the highest purchased item in that category in 24 hours? And if you are, then you hit it. So we like, we were number one in business. We we're number three in this. We we're number, you know, so there's different categories that we hit. And then over the next couple of days, we changed again, you know, um, it's very dynamic, but, um, believe me when I kept looking and all you're doing is when you search it up, it tells you, it says like number one, th- number three, new release or number one, new release. And believe me, as soon as that number one, I screenshot, I was like, I screenshot. Okay. Screenshot again, screenshot again. Right. (laughs) Because that's the only way you're going to get it. And they were really good to tell us that too. They're like, Hey, screenshot it because there's no way for us to go back and say, you were number one. You know what I mean? Like, um, so yeah, so it really is really stupid, simple, right? Um, it's not more complicated than that. Again, 
all of it comes with the grit, the hard work, um, and, and doing all the prep, right. Getting those people lined up, getting everyone ready to purchase at that same, you know, Well, I mean, that's what I was going to say. I mean, it's one thing to make the most number of purchases, but, uh, it's how do people find out about it? Right. Well, we, that's you, your job, right? Yeah. And again, having the platform, but you really do. And if I didn't have the A-line platform, you know, I would have, I kind of also just viewed this like, you know, like a candidate does right in, in politics, right. They make these circles and they're like, okay, well, here's this group, here's this group, here's this group. Right. And then they campaign. And it's the same thing. Um, if I, if I'm, if I, you know, have advice for someone else who wants to hit number one um, on Amazon and new release. Um, and maybe they're a professor, maybe they need that for their resume that, you know, I mean, there's a lot of different, maybe they're scientists and they want that, you know, authoritative, they wrote the book, right. But now they want to say it's number one, new release. Um, you know, think through all your circles, right. And then think through people, you know, who have their own circles, right. And then it's that planning, it's that prep, it's meeting with them. It's that launch plan of, of really, um, mobilizing, those, those groups of people and then get them incentivized. Right. And I don't care if it's like, Hey, you know, screenshot and let me know you bought a book and I'll send you a $5 gift card. Right. Um, you can't do that through the Amazon platform. Uh Right. But, but you can do it as a, I mean, that's just, that's, you know, that's just being a business owner. Right. We all think through promotions or rewards or, you know, um, and so, you know, whatever, whatever you can do to, you know, to really make that people committed. I, I mean, I literally got to the, uh, before we launched in my own calendar, just, you know, your, your calendar that we all use, I sent a meeting invite to literally 125 people. And I put it on their calendar by my book. Here's, and I put the link in there. Right. And, and then write a review. Right. And so I literally, but I asked for it. I mean, I emailed you know, people that I knew every from colleagues to friends to obviously, you know, our A-line community. Um, but yet also, you know, the new neighbor down the street I was that I was having a barbecue with. I was like, hey, so, you know, when my book came up and they're like, oh, I want to read. I was like, wait, don't buy it yet. Buy it next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Right. <laughs> and and what's your email? Can I send you a calendar invite? Right. But I did that. It's it's literally the guerrilla marketing, right? The groundwork, the just just get it sold. Um, so the old hustle and bustle always. Yes. Yes. It's the old hustle and bustle, like roll up your sleeves and ask for the sale. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, whenever I want to remind myself the hustle and bustle mentality here in New York city, you just go to the, the fashion district, uh, all the perfume district or the jewelry district, whichever they're all same place. Basically you can see it on the street see people are always hustling yeah to get things done so i mean this is uh like i said we, we've never covered books but really the essence of it is you have to you have to have a platform yes. and if you don't have a platform you just write the book publish that's not going to go too far but you have to have you have to organize the audiences that would appreciate this and then once you launch it you just get them to buy it and then write a review. That's really what it comes down to. And then whoever sells the maximum number of copies within 24 hours in your category that you would have strategically chosen, 
because that's up to you, right? Right, yeah. right. Then, then it will have the most number of sales yep. and therefore it will become number one. And then, of course, Amazon will promote that as number one bestseller. Correct. And then right. that will get more orders and then you basically, right. from that point on, you just push it forward. Correct, correct. There's the organic. Yep. The engine has started. You pushed it down the hill. It has momentum now and it's going to keep rolling. Yeah. And in the process, you have no fulfillment worries. You have no, no, nothing. Amazon will provide. Talk to us about the, the audible aspect. So who, who gets to make that decision? Is it up to you or does Amazon say we want to create also an audible version? No, it's completely up to you. So it's just like you deciding to write a, a write a book. So um, so you can um, I mean you could have an audible um book without a printed book. You don't have to even have a printed book to have audible. So um so no, it's um it's a completely different, it's like it's it's like publishing another um another book, right? Um and um so no, it has to be complete and finished and then and then, um, you know, this is now in theory, I haven't done it yet. Um, uh, or me and my team haven't done it. So, you know, but it's, it's getting it to, um, to Amazon and to, um, to KDP and in doing it through them again, that ver- that arm of Amazon, it's part of Amazon. It's not a, it's not a um, third party company or anything like that. Well, Audible, Audible was acquired by Amazon. Audible was acquired by Amazon. Yeah. So you are, you are publishing, but you're, I still think to get it on the publishing platform, I think. Yeah. I think that I think they kept it as a separate company, right. even though it's acquired by Amazon. So right. it has its own way of doing things. So uh, I just heard you say something interesting. So it's like writing it all over again. So isn't the audible version just basically picking up the copy and you reading it? I thought so until I actually was starting to the process. And again, like anything, you're like, I am so naive. So um, when I actually started, uh, booked the studio and and was going to start reading it, I did hire a narration coach um, just to give me some coaching and make sure that I could nail this the best that I could. And I quickly discovered that narrating is a completely different skill. Um, it's like acting, right? Um, and it's amazing how I do a lot of podcasts. I do a lot of public speaking. I'm a keynote speaker and just a few months, you know, I do a lot of speaking. I'm, I'm on a lot. And I thought, oh, I got this. But it is everything from physically, right, to actually consistently read for four to five hours a day for how many days straight. Um, my vocal cords in 45 minutes, I started, you know, because you're projecting and you're this and it's intense and you're reading. I don't have the vocal strength for it. I really don't. I, I, I had no idea. And now could I, could I exercise it and get there? Yes. Um, but the bigger thing is, is that I listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of audible myself and there is a there's a big difference in listening to a conversation on a podcast versus listening to one voice telling a story. And I realized that I am going to do my book an injustice, right? Because I don't have the skill set to keep someone really hanging on, you know, their their edge of their seat for nine hours or to keep them 
focused on it when they're doing dishes, driving, you know, all that we do while we listen to podcasts and, and audibles uh, and books on tape. Um, and so, you know, I, um, I actually had this aha and I, I called the production company, um, that we're using to produce, you know, the actual, um, audible of it. And, um, and, and I said, am I crazy, um, of like backstepping and saying, I think I want to hire a, a professional narrator. And he said, no, he said, you are actually the enlightened one. He said too many people, right. Think I wrote this. And it was interesting because I thought if I was a novelist, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. Um, because you know, they're a novelist and maybe they're a hermit in a, you know, in a, in a corner in a den and their, their mind is so creative and they can articulate, but they can't be on. Right. And they can't project. And I thought my job I'm on, I'm the spokesperson. I'm, you know, I'm, and I thought I can read my own book and I should read it, but yet, um, no, I'm not. I, um, I picked a narrator. She's a professional narrator. I'm really excited about her. Um, and so, um, Lisa will be reading my book, not me. Um, her voice does sound very similar though. Um, you know, we did, you know, I didn't go with someone from, you know, New York and have that accent or from the South or, you know, um, I did try and pick a professional narrator who, um, who sounded a bit like me, but the biggest thing was we got quite a few interview clips, um, of them reading a passage that I picked from my book. And, um, and it was really interesting because I also was looking for someone who was emphasizing what I would emphasize. Um, and there is this tool called Anna, Anna, I annotate that I get to kind of note. It's on the like, director's notes, right, for the narrator. And so I feel good about that too. But I'm really excited. So um, mid-September 19th, I get a version of my Audible book for me to listen to someone else reading my book. Um, well, I mean, it, it just, I never thought about it this way, but I, I don't. I don't use Audible uh, unless, like, I with a friend who's listening, and then I just tag along. But now that you mention it, I can see exactly reading is reading to yourself is one thing, even as the author. But recording for Audible is a whole different thing. And as you were talking, I'm listening. I'm, I'm thinking about this interview of Tom Hanks on one of the talk shows, Graham Norton. You ever watch yeah. Graham Norton's show? No. Oh, we have to look him up. He's British. Okay. He's, uh, he's actually, he's, he's Irish, but he's British. It's, it, it's, in my book, it's the top talk show, uh, even before any of the American shows. Graham Norton. He often it. has American. I mean, they go there. And he is a delightful guy. So Tom Hanks was on his show. Now, he has a secret. First of all, in American talk shows, usually you have one guest at a time. In this case, he has four of them sitting on the sofa next to each other. Okay. And they asked him, how come your show is so successful? Your guests are so relaxed. And he said, we liquor them up before the show starts. I mean, I'm not kidding. They, he actually gives them alcohol. And uh, it's very rarely that they, they don't touch. It's that they are also, by the time the show starts, they are all liquored up. So uh, anyway, the moral of the story, Tom Hanks was his guest. And he was asking about his different appearances. And what Tom Hanks talked about was him recording Toy Story. Oh, yeah. So if you think about Toy Story, it's like Audible, right? 
It's completely. And that's exactly the aha I had was yeah. that when these major blockbuster movies has Tom Hanks and Reese Witherspoon and, you know, major actors, they do not have this unknown voice, right? Because it's still acting. It's, yeah, it's telling a story. He was describing, he was describing yes. exactly. Yes. He was saying that, you know, you, you, you would think that I'm in Florence microphone and I'm just reading the script. He says, by the time I'm done with it, I am exhausted. Yes. <laughs> yes. That is exactly it. That is exactly it. And that was the enlightenment, the aha. I was like, wait, I'm not. Because, you know, the reality and, and how I finally described it too, because I had a couple of friends who are so bummed and they're like, Carmen, you have to read it. You have to read it. And I was like, well, you know what? When Reese Witherspoon makes this into a movie, I was like, am I going to act? And they're like, no. And I said, of course not, because I'm not an actress, right? I'm not an actor. This is not what I do. I do not have that skill set, right? I said, now I will be on the set. I will be in the director's chair. I will be participating and, you know, having fun with it. But I'm not going to be in the movie, right? When it gets moved into a movie. So why would I be in the audible? Why would I be in the movie? Why wouldn't you be in the movie? Of course you could be in the movie. Well, I can be an extra, but I'm not going to play myself, okay? Because it would be a really bad movie then, okay? Because, um, yeah, no, 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 no. But I, I, I can make some cameos, okay? Just a little. Yeah. You know, uh, there was a nothing to it, uh, the kind of story that you would have. Yours is a whole different thing. But the guy who wrote the story, it's a former Special Forces guy. Uh, his name is Marcus Luttrell. Uh, the movie was called Lone Wolf. It's okay. the, the story of this, this uh, special forces guys. They got completely ambushed by the Taliban. Yes. And then he his life was saved by the locals. And yes. he went back. So he wrote the whole uh, book. And, and then it was made into a movie. He was in the movie, but he was an extra. Right. No, I saw the movie. I, I wish I would have read the book. The movie's amazing, but that's exactly it. That'll be me in Looking <laughs> to Fly. I will not be playing Carmen Berenson, right? I will be, you know, some fun extra. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, this, this is, uh, you, you have completely opened my eyes to something I never knew existed. So first of all, obviously, setting on Amazon and all these strategic decisions that I love, and then this uh, audible aspect of it, uh, these are all new. This is great. So, uh, Carmen, you have your book. So, anyone listening, you've got to buy her book. Because yes, please. Learning to Fly, go on Amazon, buy it, and, and read about it. But let's talk about you a little bit without really getting into too much because we want people to read the book. But yes. Tell me about this thing, because your book starts at the age of three and a half, and you just, uh, you, you, you are convinced that you can fly, and then you get up on top of this thing, and then you jump, and then you fall, you don't yes. do anything, you just get back up, and then yes. jump again, and thinking yes. every time that yes. you can fly, because yes. you can see how, and then you flip your arms, and then is that, you know, you can't, so... At the age of three and a half, yeah. where is that, that conviction coming from? I think all of us were born with this innocence and this, um, we're not in our head, right? We haven't been socialized. We don't overthink things. We feel things, right? And we believe, and it might be different things for different people, but 
you know, I'm not the only kid who's dreamt of flying, right? Um, and and there is this magical thinking that we have as kids, right? Because we don't have enough life experience to realize the practicality and the realities, right? We're dreamers. And, and I start that because the whole book is about returning to that, right? But yet with all the intelligence and all the... Um, the life skills and the wisdom that I've gained in the last 48 years, right? But it's, I have really returned to a sense of my magical self. And, and the heart of that magical self is really knowing your worth and going, I'm enough. I'll give you a very simple analogy that isn't in the book because I would have been coming out of character. So um, my editor and writing coach was very smart to tell me, you know, there's wisdom that I want to interject when I'm telling the story about five or eight or this, or when my mom, when I found my mom in the grand mal seizure on the floor, right? And now what I know about what that did to me as a 16 year old, right? But I I never take the reader out. I never take that narrator's voice, right? It just reads. And there might be, I might put some words to some things that, you know, you knew in your gut. It's kind of like the next morning when you're like, oh, I had that thought and I didn't do anything with it. Right. But you did know it. There was that intuition and that wisdom. So, but with that is that now it's that returning, it's really reclaiming of self. Right. And, and how all of us as kids, um, we had innocence and that's the whole definition of innocence is that. We had this, um, we had this belief in ourselves. We had a belief in our dreams. We dreamt, we believed in miracles. We believed in magic. Right. And, and then life happens. Right. <laughs> and we get heartbreak from boys or, you know, from lovers. It doesn't matter what same sex or this or anything else. Right. Um, we get heartbreak. We get shamed from adults, um, who are wounded themselves. We, um, we experience true um, tragedy, right. Um, including death. I mean, when my mom died, when I was 17, um, you know, I, um, and then we hardened. So, I mean, I remember like yesterday coming into the memorial home and standing in front of my mom's casket and realizing that if I felt and just to the depth of my despair and my heartbreak and everything else and losing my mom, I would wake up 50 years old, a drunk on a park bench because no one in my life was big enough at the time after three months of healthy warning, right? Of walking into my room and opening up my curtains and saying, okay, Carmen, it's time to get up. It's time to keep living, right? And so I made this decision as I'm literally standing in front of her casket um, to really say goodbye to little Carmen, to innocent Carmen and bury her along with my mom. Right. And just you are 17 years old. I was 17 years old. And I remember it. I remember just it was this innate survival decision of just, I cannot feel this. I cannot, I cannot, I cannot cry. I cannot feel this. And and I knew that part of me was dying, right? And this innocent, and now obviously looking back, but I all I knew at the time was I knew that. I could not feel it. And I also just felt this, like, it's almost like my skin just grew a layer, right? And my heart got protected and I felt myself shutting down, right? And I was like, I'm never going to feel again. 
And what I didn't realize at the time was when you stop and you don't feel grief and you don't feel pain, you also can't feel love. You can't feel joy, right? You, 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 it's not compartmentalized, right? If you shut down feeling, you shut down feeling. And, um, and so I did, I went into the world and I remember driving back to college and I thought I am going to make a ton of money and need no one right? I am done being hurt. I am done being vulnerable. And I am going to, you know, become this self-sufficient, powerful, independent woman. And, um, and I have a question for you. Sure. Knowing what, you know, having made the decision you've made to become this strong person, if you were given the opportunity to go back to that moment, would you make the same decisions and then live your life the same way or would you do something different? No, I wouldn't. And even with all the success I've had, I could have grown into this strong woman that I am, but my strong woman that I am is really going back to the innocence and to the, and to the vulnerability. My power is so much in vulnerability now. Um, and, and in teamwork and everything else and not being a lone wolf, <laughs> um, um, I wouldn't now. Um, and, and yes, if I, if I could, if I had another 17 year old in my life, I would do everything I can to, to hug that girl and to say, you are going to cry and you are going to feel this and I'm going to stay with you, right? You're not in this alone and you don't have to go through this alone because the reality is, is that to become the woman that I am today. I had to eventually feel it. I just didn't feel it until 33 when I had sold my company for millions. And I thought that was what's going to make me happy. That was what was finally going to tell, you know, me to myself and me to my dad, I'm worthy and I'm enough and I'm good enough and I'm bright enough and I'm smart enough and I'm pretty enough and everything else. But the problem was, is that I got there and nothing changed. And so I just sat in, you know, this hard hearted for 17 years. Right. And it wasn't until I finally realized, oh, <laughs> I was always enough and I was always smart enough. And that brain was, has always been in me. And I didn't magically grow this brain, you know, by selling my company for millions. Right. Um, and, and then the living began. And I, I missed 17 years of my life and I left a wake of, I call them dead bodies, right? Not physical. Don't worry. I haven't killed anyone physically, <laughs> but this wake of dead bodies of failed marriages, multiple, right? Failed relationships hurt. There are, there are multiple people in this world who will rightfully never speak to me again, right? Um, because I was, I was in survival mode and I did mean and evil and awful things, not because I'm evil, but because I was so wounded. And I so needed to protect myself that if anyone tried to get near to me, I would absolutely, whatever it took, right, to, to kill that relationship, I would do. Take their yeah. hands off, right? Take right, their- absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. And take looking more, back. No prisoners. <laughs> take, oh, no. Oh, no. I was in full survival mode and I was going to survive, right? <laughs> but there was another way to do it. So would I choose the same path? Absolutely not. And that's why I wrote this book is so that hopefully, maybe when other people have been it, and I had multiple decision points, right? Mind you, like it was not like you get one choice in life. Like I got choice after choice and I kept choosing, you know, be ruthless, be brutal. Your friends are not your friends or your enemies, right? Everyone's a competition. I'm going to beat everyone. And it wasn't until I was at my top, right? That I was 
lonely and alone and, and sadder than ever. Right. And now I hated myself because everything wasn't outside of me. When my mom passed away, it wasn't my fault. Right. I mean, yeah. I, it, I mean, you but, said it earlier, life happens, right? So you have this innocence and then right. life happens. So right. there is a, there is a quote that I like very much. The real strength is to your weakness and be out with it. Yeah. Oh, it's so true. It's so true. It's the same thing that, you know, when you bring the most evil thing or the darkest thing into the light, it's not that dark, right? You're usually just hurt and so much drama and so much, so much, um, turmoil comes about by us trying to cover it down and to try and protect it. And I talk about in my book, a beach ball analogy, right? Remember when you're a kid and you have that blow or now even you you're in Cabo and you have the blow up beach ball and you push it down and it's fun to push it down under the water. You work and work and work and you balance it. And then it pops up, right? That is our wounds. If we don't deal with that wound, that anger, that hurt, it will always rear its ugly head and it will pop up. And, and, you know, it's, 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 it's disastrous. And those are the moments where you get home and you're like, who was that woman? I hate that woman. Like, I don't even know what happened. You know, where did that snap come out? right? Well, that's that wound. But that's where now I live. Like people are like, you seem so free. And I'm like, I am because I don't have those beach balls. I'm not working tirelessly to keep them all down and keep all those secrets hidden, right? I'm just me. And I I know that me is enough. Now that doesn't mean that I don't show up and I don't work hard. It's kind of like you said, take the shower, get dressed, you know, do it do the work. Yes, I do the work. But now I incorporate this magic side of it. Right. And this, and this beauty that guess what you're for me. I didn't get on this podcast going, what are you going to unveil? You know, what do you have to pull out of me? What are you going to try and corner me with? Right. I don't approach life with this. Everyone's out to get me. I have to be territorial. I have to protect my secrets. Right. I approach it with, oh my gosh, there are so many good people in this world. Right. You know, there's another thing that I, uh, I am kind of realizing myself when you get older, when you get over a certain age, you know, it doesn't matter anymore. And I heard in one of the shows that when you when you reach the age 60, now you earn the right to be grumpy. It's so, true. <laughs> so uh, for me, I'm speaking for myself. And so at the end of the day, as you get older, yeah. you become more comfortable yeah. being who you are whether people like it or not, yes. you have this absolute, like, total confidence in who cares, this is yes. who I am, and this yes. is how I'm going to live my life. So, yes. uh, that, unfortunately, it's very hard and you, to, to have that kind of an approach to life when you're younger. It's uh, because you're young and everybody's telling you what to do and everything else. Right. So, uh, right. But Nick, think about this for a second. Think of a 10 year old or an eight year old. They have that same confidence. My 10 year old, you know, bursts in the room and is like, I have an idea. She doesn't think, Oh, is it smart enough? Is it good enough? Oh, is my hair? Okay. Right. She just literally lives. And but that you know, is Carmen, so, something I'm going to say, I have yeah. to say this. Yeah. It is not always encouraged in every home. That's when true. kids have that confidence. I mean, that's why I was earlier at the beginning said, where is it coming from? Your parents were encouraging parents. They, and, and even at the age of three and a half, they gave you that confidence that 
Yes. If you believe in something, you yeah. can do it. And you kept jumping off this thing. Oh, you're going to fly. Your parents gave that to you when you were three and a half. And, you know, in America, it's a great country. People are always encouraged to do whatever they want. But go to the third world countries. You know, you can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do it. You know, don't, you, don't do this. It's, it's always about what pe- kids cannot do, should not do. So no, that's a really good. I think all your accomplishments, I would say they will go back to what happened between zero and three and a half years for you that kept you pushing to fly. And and now you have to move for it. No, I do. Exactly. Well, that's great. So, uh, I mean, uh, we've covered, of course, a different aspect of Amazon, but I love this kind of conversation a lot more. So this was great. So tell us how people can reach you. Of course, learning to fly on Amazon, that's the easiest way to read about Carmen, but tell us how people can reach your contact information. We'll put that on the website and also on YouTube, but uh, give us uh, how people can connect with you. Thank you. Yeah. So um, just my name as on all social media channels. So if you type in Carmen Berenson with a K, because um, my mom's name was Karen. And if you put an M in Karen, it becomes Carmen. So a little fun. That's how I became Carmen. I was supposed to be Craig Alfred, by the way. I was supposed to be a boy and I was supposed to be Craig Alfred, but I'm not. I'm Carmen Berenson. So um, put in Carmen Berenson on LinkedIn, on Instagram, on Facebook, on any platform, even CarmenBerenson.com, my website. Um, so you you can just literally type in Carmen Berenson in, in your pick of social media or platform, and you can connect with me. Um, and then obviously it'll be linked to A-Line and, um, and you know, any, any woman, sorry, Nick, I can't style you, but, um, but a wife, a sister. So tell us, by the way, your stores, where are they based? Um, they are four stores in Denver. They are up in Union Station, downtown Denver, and then Cherry Creek, and then D- Denver Tech Center, and then south of Denver in Castle Rock. Um, and then we are um, currently engaged in the LOI to go out of state. So in the, I'll let you, um, we don't have the lease sign yet, so I won't make it official, but we are expanding outside of Colorado. Great. Great. Thank you, uh, Carmen. This was great. Uh, I enjoyed it thoroughly. So uh, everybody listening, if you are in Denver, go to A-Line Boutique, meet Carmen. She'll tell you all about it. And yes. if not, go online, go to Amazon, buy her book, and you're going to enjoy it. Thank you, Carmen. This was great. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> and this brings us to the end of another episode. And I'll see you on the next one. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure and subscribe, rate, and review our show. And be sure and share an episode with a friend. And thank you so much for being with us today. We'll see you next week here on Amazon Legends.